Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. I don't know why, I don't know why. There's a butterfly feeling like someone kicked me in my side, yeah. What's happening on my woods, people? It is starting to feel a little bit better around here, KC. It's uh, it's uh, a little bit humid, but not as bad. A little bit hot, but not as bad. I think we're getting into something here. Man, I think we're getting into fall. I think it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's I uh, Scary to say that around I here. I went out and did my first run since our elk hunt. I didn't even run a full mile. Uh, but it was but just kind of like, like a get back into just like that feel. And uh, it was tough, man. Like, was it? my legs still aren't completely recovered, and I've still got a bunch of numbness in my feet. It's weird. Which is a weird thing. But uh, can you believe it's only been a week since we got back? Uh, it feels like a decade. <laughs> I know. Like, it's been so busy, man, and uh, I have not run. I have not worked out. My <laughs> wife keeps asking me over and over again, hey, you want to work out today? And I'm like, uh, you know, I think I'll just rest and edit a little bit. Mm. And I think, I mean, I honestly, because I did, uh, I think I talked about this already, but I played a few shows uh, after we got home, and it was not, there was no time for, like, recovery. It was like, hey, you know, go from getting up for 10 or 11 days straight, like, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock, to now let's stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning and play shows, you know, and it was just like, uh hectic when I got back I guess you could say and didn't get much sleep so I'm still kind of in recovery mode but I finally got to look at the weather today which was a good thing because I haven't I haven't even been able to do that um had an anniversary date last night so that was good um where'd you go uh we went to Ben 303 oh that's your favorite dude the shrimp and grits (laughs) it's the best dish I've ever had man best thing I've ever had it's it's the bomb so don't go there people because I don't want you to uh, make me have to wait in line (laughs) Uh, but anyway, it's great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, we're, uh, we've got a big buck killer, uh, like historical big buck killer on the podcast today, Terry Drury. Uh, I'm sure if you've read anything or if you can read, you know that by now, but, uh, (laughs) we, uh, we, you went deer hunting, uh, here locally pretty recently and, uh, had a, had a, uh, kind of visitor that ruined your hunt a little bit i guess you could say ruined i don't know if that's maybe i'm saying that wrong well uh, it's a very strange concept which uh i always go out wanting to shoot deer right and uh end up having a big boar hog come in real close and i shot him on the ground and i could see his teeth like from sitting there so that's (laughs) right i'm not really very hog scared but it was just kind of like ah look at you yeah you know and uh he like knew i was there but one of the corn worse it was kind of one of those weird situations um (laughs) 
and uh, ended up shooting him and actually got pretty good video of that, which is, uh, that'll be coming out soon after we wrap up the Gila series. Um, but, uh, which is, it was very, a very large contrast to the night before whenever I went deer hunting on public land and, um, saw another big boar and completely just messed everything up and didn't get footage of it or anything. <laughs> but on that trip, I did get to pull a trail camera card that's going to be essential for our plan for this upcoming cold front of which you referred to when you looked at the weather yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's it seems the trail cameras just give us confidence to know that there are shooters in the buck in the, in the area, and we've talked mm-hmm. about that several times. Uh, it's not necessarily, and you made a good point this morning, it's not necessarily that we need to hunt uh, deer that are using that trail camera, you know, the pattern that we hung that trail camera for, especially because these are, these, uh, we had the hottest September on record from what I understand. Which is strange. I know. And so like deer that were going to water may not be going to water during the cold front anymore. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at more of the Schumard oak pattern and that kind of thing. Um, but I definitely am interested in hearing what Terry has to say about October, uh, game planning and, and how to make things come together during like the pre-rut stages. So uh, maybe we can get to him and then uh, come back at the end and talk about our game plan for the week. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that sounds good. Real quick, though, uh, just so you know, the last regular episode we have, I think it's 135. Is that I right? I forgot to look it up, but yeah, it's something like that. Okay, so the Gila recap of the Element podcast, we <laughs> announced the winner's yeah, 135. Episode 135, the winners of our big giveaway that we had for iTunes reviews. And we've had a few people claim their prizes, but the big prize of the Vortex 10 before 42 binoculars has not been claimed yet. Yeah. So if you're one of those people who left a review, thank you so much. Go and listen to that episode and claim your binoculars because if not, they very well might get used this season. So um, get after it. Used or sold, you. you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we need gas. So uh, <laughs> uh, go, go over there and listen to that. Make sure you claim those binoculars and then uh, then we can get that all settled and we can all get to deer hunting together. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's get to Terry. All right, so now on the phone we have Terry Drury. He's an old guy that's still hanging around. What's happening, man? <laughs> <laughs> hey, not much. Just battling the heat. And I, I can't complain up here because I know you guys have got it much worse down in Texas. Yeah, maybe. You know, sometimes I know it can get pretty hot up there for sure. But uh, we did have plenty of 100-degree uh, days in the last few weeks especially. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been rough, man. Uh, that weather for you guys up there, I guess coupled with a lot of early rains, has kind of made for a disastrous thing going on up there, I guess, huh? Well, what we thought was going to turn out really, really nice, and uh, we had some timely rains pretty early on for food plots and what have you, But and we had a really mild um, August and a fairly mild July. We had a few warm days in there, but not too terribly bad, and here we are in September, and it's been absolutely brutal. So a lot of those new growths, particularly we plant a lot of biologic, and it's, and it's predominantly a moisture-driven plant when it comes up and germinates. And when you get these extreme temperatures and really dry conditions, it just shrivels up and, and you're already thinking about replanting. So timely rains early for, you know, some of those big destination food plots that we had planted like soybeans and corn. But then as you get into the latter months and you start with the uh, with the fall plantings, then you kind of got to worry a little bit. But, but our season just seemed to be semi upside down here the last few years, you know, the the springs and the falls just aren't what they once were when we were much younger. So I don't know. The whole world is, is kind of upside down <laughs> with that said, you know, typically on a, on an extremely dry or drought season, dry summer, your concerns are about EHD hitting epizootic hemorrhagic disease. And, you know, because all of those velvet bucks kind of gather in, you know, kind of tight, cool places, whether it be inside of a small pond or the backside of a small levee or in a creek bank or whatever it may be, oftentimes they get bombarded with the midge because that's where their larvae hatch. Mm-hmm. Well, this year we had the timely rains and a tremendous amount of flooding on the, the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, and every one of the tributaries that feed those rivers. And they were up for many, many months. So you would think on a really extremely wet year, you wouldn't be bombarded with the midge. Well, we were incorrect. As those waters receded, it just ended up opening way more hatching areas for that midge and, and places for them to deposit their larvae. And then we had cool 
damp conditions from then on, and they just seem to flourish. Mm -hmm. So with that, the results are an extreme, extreme uh, whitetail kill that we're seeing right now because of the EHD. It's It's been awful, really, really dreadful. And when I'm talking a wide swath through the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, uh, Kansas. It's it's pretty bad this year, guys. Mm, man, so it, it, I guess the only way to kind of... Uh to get out of it at this point is is by cold temperatures, right? I mean, even if it floods back over, are we still going to have a lot of the midges around? I think you're absolutely correct. I think the ones that hatched are already, you know, in the air, mm-hmm. and uh, it could it could come back up. But I don't know that it will it will do us any good. And and you're also correct in the fact that we need some extreme bitter cold temperatures, and it can't get here soon enough to <laughs> to suit us. Yeah, truly, I understand that. What what uh, what time of year you usually guys get that in that northern Missouri Iowa area? You talking about cold temps? Uh, yes, sir. Boy, sometimes we're, you know, mid to latter part of October anymore. Mm-hmm. Years ago, we could experience some cool temperature in, in September, but anymore, it just seems like we're warm all the way through October. Mm-hmm. There's years where I don't put a jacket on until, you know, first week in November. Mm-hmm. It stays so mild. You might wear a long sleeve shirt, but... Uh, we're just experiencing a lot warmer temps than what we used to have years ago. Yeah. Well, we understand that. I mean, it, football season's usually over by the time we're wearing jackets down here. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I couldn't imagine playing football full pads in some of those southern areas. You know, I, I just couldn't. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs> Texas. Tough, yeah. tough. Oh, yeah. I did it for a long time, actually. I actually... I played uh, high school football in Texas, and I played college football in Texas, and so I dealt with a lot of those those steep uh, temperatures. And we always had a uh, dark blue helmet on every team I was on, so it was like <laughs> it cooked your head in the, like an oven, you know. So uh, it was pretty brutal, man, but maybe it made me tougher uh, in the long run. So you got to be tough. Our hats <laughs> off to you. We're, we're a couple of sissies, Mark and I, man. Our radiators are built for... For freezing cold temperature, it seriously does not get cold enough to suit me. Well, it really doesn't. I, I love the cold weather, and and we just we're just not built for that those warmer temps. You guys are a different breed because KC and I'll be up in the in the tree, just uh, barely hanging in there when it starts getting cold. So, you, I guess you have the advantage during deer season. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, and I'll be honest, you know the the way they some of the garments nowadays, the way they develop clothing is so much better, and and mm-hmm. you know just a little more cold resistant than what it was many years ago. So sure thing. we're fortunate in that respect with base layers and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, other than the HD, how have things been this summer? You've been able to tie the loose ends together yet? Well, I touched on it earlier. We've had some timely rains and on my farm, the deer density is so high that we always battle browse pressure and I can't seem to get crops to grow because they eat them down so quickly because the rainfall has to outrun the browse. Mm -hmm. And this year, we've had those timely rains, and we've got food all over the place, but the deer are dying at a a pretty rapid pace. So uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword for us. Although the food plots look great, and we've got a pretty decent mass crop with the acorns, uh, we just... The, the number of deer are extremely low. The deer density is really taking a hit. There's areas in southern Iowa, northern Missouri, southern Iowa particularly, that and we got this information from the conservation department that they're estimating there's a 12 mile by 12 mile swath that had somewhere between a 95 and a 100 percent deer kill because of the uh, EHD going through. Oh, that's just crazy, man. I, you know, I've had I've got some buddies uh, or a buddy in particular that he's actually been on the podcast. He's he lives up in Iowa, and he's his particular farm. I think is going to be in one of those areas where. He said it's it's devastating. It's absolutely just destroyed everything they had. So, um, pretty sad if you're if your kind of life is built around deer hunting. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it makes your livelihood extremely scary. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we talk to a lot of different people. The age of social media and digital media, you guys are very familiar with it. That things now travel like wildfire. So you hear more about it than we did years ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, we stay in touch with Donna Candy Kiske and Lee and Tiffany Lakoski, and you know, just a number of people that you know have built their built their businesses in that area. And they're all experiencing some of the same things. I think Kiske found his number one shooter found uh, it dead. So, and there's there's neighbors and just friends in general. We're hearing an awful lot of of people finding deer dead, and not just one or two. It's 
you know, in the double digits on almost every occurrence or every situation that we're hearing. So it's, it's really, really bad this year. 12 was bad. Mm -hmm. And then 13 followed it up with a little touch of it. But this year it seems to be much worse. Oh no, Mm. that's not good. Well, y'all have rebuilt once and, uh, have done well, you know, uh, for, I guess rebuilt's the the best word, but managed your herd back to a, a decent spot. Um, what have you learned, you know, from that 2012 and 13 episode that's going to kind of help you or maybe even things that you've already prepared for another outbreak like this? Well, as sad as it may sound, if you do get one that you've got pictures of this year and, and this year, our strategy is going to change a little bit where we're going to stay on top of the cameras even more so than normal. Mm-hmm. But if you get pictures of one and he hasn't been bit and he hasn't been expired and there's a few other ones running around, you're going to you're going to mash in on him and try and take advantage of it and see if you can't see, see if you can't connect. With mm-hmm. that said, if it wipes out the entire upper class like it has in years past, then you're forced kind of to wait two or three years. You're going to continue providing food. And they do come back pretty strong and what seems to be a little healthier than before. And I say that maybe because of the ones that do survive uh, have built an immune system from button bucks on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only, only the strong survive would apply here. So it's it's a double-edged sword, and we hate it. It's the uh, a really really horrid, tragic tragic expiration for a whitetail. We we've, we've watched it firsthand with with our eyes, and it's no way for them to expire. I'll tell you that, you know, they they literally burn up from the inside. The temperature and on the in, their internal temperature just absolutely is off the chart. So they all head to water, trying to get a drink. Some of them you'll see with their head underwater or head down in the water, and they just can't get cooled down. And within some of them within 24 to 48 hours are, are dead. Ugh. So there's yep. an acute and a chronic. And the acute happens very, very quickly. The chronic lasts much longer. We'll still see di- deer dying in, in November, December this year. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's just terrible. Yep. And it's just, uh, I guess you just got to come face the facts, you know, that it's going to happen. And you were talking about, you know, kind of how it changes your strategy and how you have to get aggressive on it. If, if you've got a target buck that's still alive, you have to go in there and get after him. And, um, it's a weird way to transition into this, but the way that we, you know, what we wanted to talk about with you today was uh, pre-rut tactics, and you know that's going to be trying to take a big buck in October, and that's kind of what you have to do, you know, if you're racing against the clock like that, right? So, um, you know, you mentioned trail cameras as being one of the big things that you're going to use to try to move in and be aggressive on a big buck. How does that, how does that uh, play out in October when you're trying to do that? Well, I'll I'll kind of take this to a to a a little bit of a normal application because there are a lot of guys and and if this is random in certain spots and EHD is not in certain areas, then obviously those guys may have a tremendous season. Yeah. Uh, You know, so with that being said, you know, a typical October, we're going to be really looking at those cameras. And then I do a lot of triangulation and part of it is being extremely familiar with your your parcel or your dirt that you're hunting, knowing, you know, kind of where they bed, where they feed and where they're going to travel to, where the does bed and where they feed, uh, where they might intercept them those first few times whenever those does are just starting to, or ahead of when they're just starting to come into estrus. So a lot of those bucks will hit those green fields. And uh, this year, I think we wax full on the 13th or 14th. So we would typically be sitting a green field, a clover uh, you know, a non-typical clover field or something. Uh, during that period, you've got a rising moon, and we would be extremely, extremely diligent in being on those green fields during that period. I would prefer that the moon be rising a little bit later in the month, you know, in and around that 27th, 28th, 29th, because that Halloween period is always so good, but it doesn't time out again this year. It seems like those windows are, are very small as well. We really struggle trying to get a full moon that's rising and waxing full in around the end of that October period. But mm-hmm. with that said, we're still, if you hunt it on a normal year, uh, this year around the middle of October there, and it's a short window and you've got to have the right temperatures, but you know, you'll go out there some days and see that big buck standing there and you wonder what he's doing on his feet during daylight hours at two thirty or three in the afternoon. Well, those applications are when that happens, whenever that moon is rising in the afternoon and puts them up on their feet. Cool temperatures, you know, really dictates that, and it does mm-hmm. enhance that quite a bit during daylight. Sure. So uh, in regards to the cameras, do you do you ever set 
a camera and, and start uh, kind of creating a pattern with a certain buck and go, oh, I'm not exactly sure if he's bedding over here, over here. And so you back down the trail, however many, however many yards, and kind of backtrack for a while until you're a little more certain. Uh, or are you just make an assumption and then start hunting? Well, when you start getting daylight pictures of a buck, pretty good chance he's bedded pretty doggone close. Mm-hmm. If you're getting all nocturnal pictures, all nighttime pictures, pretty good chance he's traveling a ways to get there. So you can bet your booty. If you get some morning trail camera photos of a deer, you know, 7.15, 7.30 in the morning during daylight, chances are he's bedded really, really close to that particular camera. Mm-hmm. And that's one way to start the process of triangulation. Say, okay, he's bedding here, but he may be ending up over here, you know, at nighttime at 10.30, 11 o'clock, you get his picture. So you got an idea of where he was bedded and then where he's going to. Mm-hmm. And you can play the game of interception. But I always look at those morning pictures during daylight, and this time of year particularly, pretty good chance he's bedded very, very close to that area. So... On that note, if you have a buck that you're getting, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night or 4 or 5 in the morning, you know, in, you know, well into dark, and then he uh, fairly quickly transitions into being more of a daylight mover, do you uh, think that that's because he was roaming more and he's more active in the daylight, or has he adjusted his bedding and now he is bedding closer to where uh, your camera placement is than what he was before? I think it's moon-dependent and temperature-dependent. I think if you get a temperature differential, let's say of 30 or 40 degrees, you know, if your average temperature is 60 and all of a sudden it drops down to the low 50s or high 40s, then you got to be thinking, okay, i got a real big temperature differential here. And whether you have a setting moon in the morning or a rising moon in the afternoon, it will tell you whether or not they're going to move during that evening period a little earlier or if they're going to be a little bit later getting back to bed in the morning. And that's the way we look at it. His range may have not changed. It may just have changed the time of day in which he's moving. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. If yeah. that makes sense. Yes, and sir. early season obviously is different. You know, when you when you start getting into October or end of October particularly, those, those core areas do start to expand. Mm-hmm. But it's usually a little bit later for us. And I, I know Texas, uh, your peak estrus is probably substantially different than ours. I'm going to say at least two or three weeks, maybe more. It depends uh, on where you're at. Where we're at uh, is northeast, so we're not in the brush country or anything. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, right. it's, it's, uh, it's, usually, it's usually in November. Uh, it's pretty, you know, I think it's going to be, we see most of our movement in that mid-November uh, window where uh, that might be kind of a lockdown for some of the Midwest or whatever you want to call it it where they're right you know right. actually breeding so um but yeah that's it's similar here uh we have several different uh <laughs> i think there's mean, seven different uh ruts in texas if i remember <laughs> right i used to live Is down the texas right? coast and uh like on the upper texas coast your rut was in late september so deer season completely missed the rut it was it's a crazy like anomaly right and then you head you know to uh you know north central texas it's much like the midwest you head south it can be in late december early january it just really depends you know texas is so big and y'all y'all hunt in texas you know how it is it's almost like um it it's it's the same you do have a rut but it's just much it seems to be a wider bill curve in some places you know so it's well just, and that's kind of the best of all worlds in all yeah. reality because we like catching them before they get with a doe once they get with those does it's it's really tough to to find a big deer and get on him and stay on him so mm-hmm. we love that period just prior to so if you know when those regions are are popping, particularly that estrus cycle, then it's you could really do a little bit of bopping around and and take advantage of it throughout the entire state. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's it's fun for sure, and and just even like locally here, like I said, it may be mid November, but I mean I've got I've got pictures on trail cameras of of deer nose and does around in February, and so you know it kind of gives you a pretty big window to to still lock into. I mean I I remember on New Year's Day last year I had a, a buck come through chasing two does, and I mean it just it happens. So uh, it kind of gives you hope anytime you step into a stand that things could get wild, you know, so absolutely pre- pretty fun. But absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier that the mass crop uh, is looking pretty good in your neck of the woods, which it is in ours too. Um, how, I guess kind of my first question in regards to that is what time of year are you seeing deer kind of lock into the white oaks when they, when they start dropping? Well, in the Midwestern area there that I'm hunting in, and there in really some of the surrounding areas, there's a lot of big destination feed fields. Mm-hmm. And this year we were extremely wet early, so much of those crops got planted later. 
So the soybeans are still fairly green in spots and the corn hasn't matured yet. So until those big destination feed fields, until the beans are cut and the corn is shelled, a lot of times the timber doesn't light up. You know, the acorns be, may be laying on the ground and the squirrels are gobbling them up, but the, but the whitetails haven't hit them yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends how big of the patch. Sometimes if it's a small patch of timber that's between some destination feed fields, you'll see them in there milling around during the middle of the day in the shade. Uh, but some of those bigger, bigger blocks where they're big destination feed fields, you know, and big blocks of timber, it, it may take a while this year. And we looked at it and say, you know, normally our farms light up, or mine, particularly the middle of October, it's just all, all like a light switch. It changes overnight because many of the crops get cut and get taken out. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden all those deer pour into the timber. This year we're expecting that to be a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Although we've had the warm temperatures here of late, so things are starting to change pretty quickly. We're starting to see some beans starting to turn yellow. Some of the guys went in and cut corn for silage this year a little bit early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if they get them out on a normal year, by the middle of October, things really change. Gotcha. So if you're, if you have a, a kind of a big flat of white oaks, maybe on your property, how are you, how do you narrow down to that one tree that you need to be sitting in? Well, we're going to play wind direction, obviously, mm-hmm. and access kind of to the big keys, access number one, if you can get in there without boogering them. So, you know, you'd obviously want to go in there in the dark. If it's a big flat where you can see from one side to the other, well, that's tough. You kind of want to cut your trail and have it ready to, you know, ready to slide in there and not make any noise. We'll clean those trails with a blower or a rake or something and make sure they're clean. And then, uh, you know, if with that said, we're going to slip in there in the dark and might sit there all day until uh, until the time's right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you ever call much in, in October? You ever do any calling? Yeah, I do, but I'm real selective about when I do, and I usually wait till a little bit later. And I'll always I'll do very little blind calling, but I'll I'll wait till I make a visual, and I also wait until I know that I got the wind on him to where he cannot get downwind of me. Mm-hmm. So that's usually pretty important for us. Some guys you see guys that have had tremendous amount of luck. You know, I mentioned Don Kiske and Jay Gregory, a few of the guys earlier that are kings of of uh calling kiski's rattled in a bunch of big deer over the years and so is jay and so is lee mm-hmm. so uh but we just we've never spent a tremendous number of times in the woods and just done a lot of blind calling mm-hmm. so we're pretty careful about how much we do we, i just i like i don't want them to know where i'm at number sure, one yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i make doggone sure that i got the wind right before i'll call out them Right. And I, I have always had good luck. I've rattled in some good bucks and killed good deer, uh-huh. but I'm just real apprehensive about educating them. Yeah. So, so at what point in October? You said later. Is there? Is it? Does it depend on the moon and, and the the you know cold temps to kind of get them into just a more ruddy feeling? I guess. Or how does that work for you? Well, from a visual standpoint, I like watching that body posture, and whenever they start coming out onto a food plot and they think they're the mac daddy. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing the hair bristle up, and they start challenging other small bucks, and that it's time to start. And we're not afraid to use decoys as well. Uh, I would do those kind of simultaneously, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a short window when that works, and it's usually around the end of October or the first few days in November. And uh, I like to go by w- w- what the deer is telling me. And everyone's got a little bit different personality. They're not too indifferent from a human in that respect. Some are fighters and some are lovers. Mm-hmm. You know, the sure. lovers like to go the other way and the fighters come run- running, tromping right on in there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So around that time of year, you know, you're starting to see a switch in uh, deer behavior and activity and that sort of thing. And the sign kind of starts to change as well. Um you know, uh, you end up having new scrapes and new rubs pop up in all kinds of different places. Which one of those are you going to key in on more? You know, which one's going to mean more to you? I really look at scrapes. I, yeah. I Years ago, we put a lot of faith in rubs, but they're semi-hard to, to read at times because they're so doggone, doggone many deer hitting them. Mm-hmm. And we'll put a camera on a rub, and you may see every buck on your farm hitting that rub. Now, what it can tell you is how long he's at that rub, meaning an older, mature deer might stand at that spot for 10 or 15 minutes before he goes to the next one. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that over the years where you can do that triangulation that I talked about early on and say, you know what, he was here for 15 or 20 minutes. You know, he'd rub a little bit and then he stood there and then he rubbed a little bit and just looked around. We see that quite often with an older, mature buck, a seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half year old deer. 
the younger deer will rub it a little bit and then they move to the next one. Mm -hmm. So rubs can help you in that respect. Scrapes, on the other hand, will tell you that's the whole uh, really in a nutshell when it comes to the breeding cycle. The does are going to go there. They're going to do their thing. And then the bucks are going to follow. And there's a lot of messaging going on there that we're not all 100 percent certain as to what they're saying. (laughs) But that's how they pick up those first available estrus does or through those scrapes. So I put a lot more stock in a scrape than I do in a rub, per se. Yeah. So on that note. Um, we go to the Midwest and hunt and stuff, and for some reason, when you see a scrape that's the size of a truck hood, it just gets you going, right? Can you Absolutely. really? Does that really mean that much, though? Like the size of the scrape, does that mean something to you? Some of those can be a core scrape or a hub scrape, where every single deer in that block of timber is going to go to that particular. It's a wagon wagon wheel or a wagon spoke effect, where they're coming from all directions to get to that big, big. Uh, primary scrape and absolutely yes when you find one you you hit the mother load it's not you know that's one you want to park over the top of say 20 yards away knowing that you've got good access and where you're going to uh, what wind direction you're going to hunt it on because you're obviously going to give up a downwind side so you're going to say okay flip a coin here what's the best side i want to give up Mm -hmm. and uh that's but i would definitely hunt hunt something like that if you find a big hub scrape like that 100%. During the first 10 days of November, I'd hunt that in the morning, uh, every every morning, provided you can get the right winds for it. And you will kill a deer on one. <laughs> I like that confidence. That feels <laughs> yeah. nice. Now, yeah. would you uh, walk past many, like, you know, pie plate size scrapes to go find a scrape like that? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be looking for a scrape per se, mm-hmm. uh, but I walk past a lot of pie, pie-shaped pie scrapes because so many young deer do, do those, especially on field yeah. edges. One year and a half old buck might make 10 of those, mm-hmm. you know, and hit them all in one morning. So we disregard some of those, but a camera will tell you, you know, what you're looking at. And a one out of 10, there might be number four might have a big Mugambi giant go hit it. <laughs> so, you know, you want to kind of make sure that you take the inventory and uh, and be diligent about studying who's visiting those scrapes. Mm-hmm. But we do walk past a lot of the smaller ones. I'm going to have to use that term because I'm usually more of like a, man, it's a toad, you know, and I think that's just so elementary <laughs> compared to giant? what you just said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like that a lot, man. I like it. We don't hear, see or hear near enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, man. So during during that early season window, the month of October, what are what are some of the things that can change a buck's behavior? I know you mentioned crops. You know, in your country, it seems like crops are, uh, you know, almost any everything depends on crops, and that's different for us um, because we just don't really have crops. We have our ag is, uh, you know, hay production, uh, Bermuda type stuff, and cattle. So, uh, just kind of in general, what are some of the other things that might change a buck's behavior during the month of October? Well, with that, with that hay and those crop fields that you're talking about, you know, obviously a lot of those fields, when they hay them, there's some new undergrowth comes up through there. And whether it's, you know, alfalfa or there's a little bit of clover in there mixed in, those can be deadly early season because we, we definitely like to park on top of green during those early, early days in October because they just, they just can't get enough of it hardly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't overlook those if, if you've got a lot of them. And I know in your area, there's, they're probably vast or it might be hundreds of acres. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be uh, kind of studying from afar and maybe do a little bit of glassing and figure out where they're popping out at. You know, it may be a little cove in the back of a field. It may be structure. There might be a creek or a, or a ditch or some reason that they're popping out there. So you can learn a lot. And, and I certainly wouldn't overlook those areas. Mm-hmm. With that said... If you're in an area where you don't have the food source, then I would I would really look at temperature differential and moon phase. In the evenings, you'd want to be hunting that on a, on a rising moon when it coincides with their normal feeding pattern. So if you're driving home from work one evening and you see the moon already up, you know, at 3.30 or 4 o'clock, you're like, oh, doggone, that moon's up early this evening. You really want to key in on those moon times because it does trigger them to get up on their feet and move during daylight hours. You couple that with temperature differential, and all of a sudden you've got a, a big mass movement where you see a lot of deer up on their feet. And those windows are so short, you know, it may only be an evening or two where you've got optimum conditions. And uh, those little periods are the ones that you want to try and key in on. 
Are you guys familiar with DeerCast? Or have you? Yes. Yeah. Um, we actually had Mark on last year, and he had. Uh, I think it was right before maybe it came uh, came out, but uh, he had okay. discussed it. Yeah. All right. Well, we feel like we have, you know, really unlocked the code, and and this has been many many years of observation and really a lot of uh, effort between he and I, where we were comparing notes on a daily basis for decades and saying, did your move, did your deer move? Okay, no. Did your deer? Yes, mine did move. Why? Why did they move? And then we'd go down through a litany of different, uh, you know, weather effects that we had and saying, Here, here's what my weather conditions were and here's why they moved, coupled with moon. So we took all of that and put it all together and had a, a company in St. Louis create an algorithm. We have 13 influencers that went into this algorithm. And those influencers have been pretty doggone accurate as uh, predicting whitetail movement for mature deer during daylight hours. And that's the, the key word or the operative word is saying when mature deer are more likely to move during deer li- daylight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a neat thing for sure. I, um, I, uh, I guess here's a question that comes from an experience I recently had. I went up and hunted in Nebraska um, and the deer were bedding in uh, Milo a lot, um, mm-hmm. and it was really tall. Uh, was, was it a, this year? This was this year. This was last week. Oh, and, okay. And All right. um, they also, I think, were bedding in corn. I just de- I, mean, I really couldn't see them, and I didn't hunt real close to a lot of corn, even though there was a lot in the area. So, you know, for you guys, it would probably be more corn. What do you do about deer that are kind of bedding in corn and they really have just nowhere to nowhere they need to go. It's standing corn, you know. It's bedding, it's food, it's everything. How do you how do you hunt a deer like that? Well, you either go to a bar or a restaurant <laughs> and, you, and you sit there and enjoy the day. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> because it's really tough to get them out of there, and that's what I was saying early on. That until until they shell those those cornfields and cut the beans, and and the other scenario would be the milo. You know, you, you can't hardly get them out of there. You just can't beat them out. And the last thing you want to do is go push them out or nudge them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pretty tough. The yeah. only thing that might bring them out is that moon phase and cool temperatures. Mm-hmm. And if you're not dealing with that, you're you're sitting there almost with your, you know, up against a rock in a hard place. It's That's really a, a tough predicament to overcome. Mm-hmm. So deer cast helps with that a little bit because it will give you optimum conditions when a whitetail is more likely to be up on their feet during daylight hours so you can look at deer cast and if it says great then by golly there's a pretty good chance even though they've got everything they want they're still going to get up on their feet and move around a little sure, bit yeah. but it's all of those elements you know combined into one and it's optimum conditions for all the above that's that's going to be an efficient way to use your days in October, uh, you know, your kitchen passes, I guess. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. The only detriment this year is if you know if you got hit with EHD and they're not there. We experienced it last year in Fulton County, Illinois. Even though it was random, we were in a pocket over there where it was about a between a ninety and a ninety-five percent deer kill. And we sat on some beautiful, beautiful timber and big destination feed fields and food plots and some of the finest hunting Illinois has to offer. And we'd see one or two, three was like a big day. Mm -hmm. It was really, really bad. Mm. Yep, sounds like it. So no matter what deer cast says, if they're not there, they're not there. And I and I started smelling those deer in July. I think I got my first whiff of a dead deer when I was mm-hmm. changing flashcards. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just continued to die. So therefore, and it was, you know, the brush and understory is all six foot tall. You couldn't walk through it or find dead deer, but you could smell them. Mm-hmm. So shed season this past spring, you know, one of my farm managers, he found 10 or 11 dead bucks in about an hour, hour and a half. They they just were all dead. Mm-hmm. Man, that's terrible. So that's Mother Nature humbling us every day. Yeah, sure no enough. kidding. And uh, it will definitely happen uh, every season in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So, um, you know, you're talking a lot about these uh, 13 variables that, that you have, you know, with like the deer cast uh, system that you're using and whatnot. Um do you the ones that pop out and that everybody i think takes into consideration are time of day uh you know temperature cold fronts that sort of thing and then the moon thing which is something that i've heard you and and mark as well talk a lot about is the moon phases do you ever run into a situation where um you know 
none of those three are popping, but all the other, you know, maybe less important things all line up right to where, you know, it's a warm day and you got deer movement at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Do you see that? Well, a, a lot of times barometric pressure is involved in that too. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you've got a barometer that's off the charts and some of the other influencers aren't as prevalent, you know, and that's the whole idea of the algorithm. And it took us three years to tweak that thing. You know, we made it to where we felt like what we were observing was about as natural movement as you could possibly observe. And we continued adjusting those influencers either to uh, the positive or to the negative. Some we slid up, some we slid down and felt as though we've got this thing about as close as you can get it, to be quite honest. So, yes, every once in a while you'll see two or three of those influencers that, you know, are pretty prevalent, but yet the other ones are not. And you don't get a, a great, you don't even get a good, you might get a fair or, or even a, a, just a poor, you know, mm, right. it takes, it takes all of those elements for them to, for it to say great, it, there's a reason all those elements line up. It's like getting the stars to line up. And uh, <laughs> when it says great, that, that barometer and uh, departure from normal temperature and wind speed and all those other things are, and, and moon phase are all, all, you know, on the upside. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, I really appreciate the tactics, and it's going to help a lot of people in October, I think, and especially me, um, and especially if I get to go up uh, to your part of the country. So hopefully uh, EHD will leave a few deer for me. But um, I kind of want to hit on a few things real quick uh, in the end here that are a little bit different. But, um, you know, you're, you and your brother Mark are big influencers, and have been, you've been doing this a long time. So um, I think a, a question that probably a lot of people would have is, uh, you know, they think you got a cake job, but what's the worst thing you guys deal with in, in your line of work? Well, it, it started so long ago, you know, with, this is our 30th year of doing this and we've seen so many changes throughout the year, just in technology, you know, just mm-hmm. being able to, you know, adjust on the fly and, and being willing to transition. Uh, and right now, you know, we're looking at digital media and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and all those podcasts, just like what you guys are doing. You know, that wasn't around just not too many years ago, five mm-hmm. years ago, we couldn't convince anybody that this would be like this. It was, we were trying to, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. We'd mm-hmm. sit in on meetings with, with several of our partners who are the best in the business. And a lot of those, even the ad agencies, they just wouldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were saying, Hey, it's coming. And, and sure enough, here we are five years later. So with that being said, I think one of the toughest things was, and, and, it, and it wasn't hard for Mark and I, but it's hard for people to accept that the general hunting community sometimes has a hard time adjusting. Mm-hmm. You know, when we went from a VHS tape to a DVD was like the wheels fell off the bus. There were a lot of guys buying both because they didn't believe that, number one, the DVDs would be around very long and they didn't know how to use it. So mm-hmm. they buy and order a VHS tape, and then they'd order a DVD. So <laughs> those changes have been really, really uh, monumental here in the last or over a period of three decades, in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we've got a lot of good friends in this industry, you know, at Mossy Oak and, and PSE and several of them that we've been with for a long, long time. And we just we enjoy doing what we do. Uh, being a, a home, or away from home and away from the family, that was a long, uh, long adjustment as well, more so for the family than it was for us, you know, because it's just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everybody made sacrifices, and here we are 30 years later, and we're so blessed. We really are. We're some of the most, you know, blessed people on earth. But there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into it over the years, sure. hanging stands and you know, fist to cuffs and arguing as to where we were going to sit and who was hunting and all, we went through all that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so what's the, you know, is the future bright, I guess is my question, because, you know, I think personally, uh, you've seen the kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but just the, uh, the anti-gum movement with YouTube and, uh, YouTube is such a huge platform for, for a lot of these guys these days and, and uh, these different teams that are doing this thing. And, and so, um, you know, what is what does the long term look like as far as YouTube goes? Because, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be hard for us just to start some kind of hunting, you know, video channel that is actually successful because you're relying on on masses when it when it comes to, you know, fractions of cents per view. So 
how does it all how does it all look to you i guess coming up in the future the next five years or so well you know if we see another change in the next five like we did in the last five it, it, it too will be monumental and and lord only knows where it's going mm-hmm. i mean you know we've kind of been flying by the seat of our pants along with everyone else mm-hmm. and even facebook in general it changes so rapidly understanding it and watching the direction that it goes sometimes is extremely difficult mm-hmm. so what we do rely on is the uh the mentality of the consumer those people and i'm going to use a phrase the cream usually comes to the top yeah you know they can sort out the good from the bad and the and the you know the naysayers from the good guys and you know you you try to do everything the best you can and if you're passionate about something like we are about hunting you know, that comes out and, and you can't fool uh, someone on a daily basis for the rest of your life. You just can't. So if that passion is within you and it comes out in an honest message and you always have integrity behind you. And that's that's, I think, maybe one of the biggest things in our industry is integrity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of uh, uh, good, good people out there that have been doing it a long time. And we respect and look up to all of those guys. You know, they're the ones, the pioneers that have created and, and paved the path for all of us. Mm-hmm. So we continue to try and carry that torch. And as long as you do that, if you're even if you're just starting out and you don't give up, you know, integrity is the thing that will lead you down the finish line. Sure. In all aspects of life, really. That's right. You know? All aspects. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the business aside of it, um, where do you, do you think hunting's going to look like what it does now, 20 years from now? And if so, what, what do we need to do to make sure that still happens? Well, one of the things that we have noticed over the last five to 10 years is that a lot of the young uh, potential hunters are involved in sporting events, meaning baseball, basketball, football, soccer, track. And it seems as though now they're more involved than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. So those tournaments last longer, they travel further. And I've got grandsons that do that. That's how I know it firsthand. <laughs> but they're never home. I mean, yep. these guys practice every evening and they're on the weekends or in tournaments. And it's it really does cut into their time. The ones that hunt seem to have to make a choice and say, I'm either going to be in sports or I'm going to be a hunter. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I know the parents want them to to do well in, in the sporting activities and all that because it's it's just been like sweeping across the country. If you go to one of the events, there's a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing in the fact that they're involved in something. And I think that's first and foremost. We love seeing them involved in the sporting events. That's fantastic because it, it shows them camaraderie and how to, how to play on a team. And there is no I in team and all those things. Hunting, on the other hand, is a little bit more individualized where you have to learn. You have to grow up pretty quick if you're trying to do it by yourself. So, you know, it takes mom and dad to get them out there. And we see a lot of that. You know, it seems like we've seen more than that, more of that than we used to years ago. And maybe it's because there's just more of it being broadcast. But I love that. Uh, we have several team members now that started with us 20, 25 years ago. All of them are bringing their kids up now in the hunting world. And I love that. Teaching them the right way. Teaching them the, you know, the ethics behind it and how to be a good sportsman. So mm-hmm. that's first and foremost. Where is it going to be at 10 years from now? I think it's still a good thing because I think there's a lot of parents. I think it'll I think it'll do quite well because I think there's a lot of parents that have made up their mind. I'm going to teach my son or my daughter, my niece, my nephew. I'm going to teach them the right way. I want to do the right thing and send a message. Education is first and foremost, making sure that, number one, we understand what the opposing party is thinking and why they're thinking it. And trying to educate those that don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And and I do believe that a lot of firearms naysayers do not understand the love that we have for the sport. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to convey that, why you would like to go harvest a squirrel or a rabbit and then and clean it and then cook it and eat it. And mm-hmm. I think consumption helps with that message as well. Sending the right message. We're, we do a piece Taylor does called Killing It in the Kitchen. And, uh, and she's coming up with these fantastic recipes every day where you look at it and you go, my God, I'd like to have one of those, whether it's a slider or a taco or meatloaf or whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. you know, from, from field to fork, 
is a good message to send. And, you know, not that you're just out there harvesting just to be harvesting, but you're doing it for a reason. Right. Man, that's that's such a good message. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this thing up. And, Terry, I called you an old man in the first because we were, you know, joking around <laughs> off air, but you've got because the enthusiasm. No, you've got you've got the heart and enthusiasm of a, of a young strapping fellow. So <laughs> I appreciate you spending some time with us, and, and uh, I'm ready to get out there and, and uh, try out some of these tactics in October. But, uh um, I guess for the listener, man, if somebody wants to kind of follow your season, uh, what's the best place to send them? Well, I tell you what, DeerCast has taken off like wildfire, and we love to continue sending them over there. We have a news feed on DeerCast okay. and uh, DeerCast Now, so they can follow our season very, very easily on DeerCast as well as DeerOutdoors.com. Okay. I can't say enough good things about you guys. You sound like two seasoned veterans. I don't know how old you are, but you, you really uh, seasoned beyond your years. Getting older so, every day, I can tell you that. I, I wish you it. nothing but the best. I hope you both kill a big Mugambi giant this year. <laughs> well, I appreciate Thanks, Terry. it, Terry. Man, I appreciate your time, too, and I hope you get a giant as well this year. Thanks, guys. I want everybody to be safe. You know, wear that harness, safety lines. Mm-hmm. I, I do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. I had a little tumble a few years ago, uh-huh. but uh, live and learn. And we want to send a message out there to make sure everyone is tied off and has a safety line on. Yes, sir. We've got, uh, we're glad to, that you're still on earth with this, man. That's a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> too hungry too to quit. <laughs> That's right. All right hey, good luck, guys. I yeah. appreciate you. We'll see Thanks, you. Thanks, Terry. Thanks so much. All Take right. care. Well, there's not a lot of corn around here to hunt, but... <laughs> there is, just not the standing kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Uh, but there is corn in Iowa, and guess what? I have an Iowa tag. So you do, So I'm pretty man. excited to hear about some uh, pre-rut tactics because I should be up there today hunting a cold front that's massive right now, but I'm not. And uh, luckily, you know, uh, I get to spend some time with my family and that kind of thing. But I will be up there in October, I believe. I mm-hmm. think I'm going to go up at the end of this month. And so that's just uh, talking to him and getting the word. Other than the AHD thing that they've got going on up there, like everything's pretty exciting. And, and it's good to, to get to learn from him so that I can probably put that into into motion. And if we can find any uh, uh, good agriculture as well, I, th- I think we can, apl- uh, you know, use some of these uh, different tactics and, and apply them to, uh, the hunting in there in Kansas as well. Well, so. that's one of the good things about, uh, actually going up there and hunting public land in Iowa is that there's going to be a deer to hunt. You know, if you had kind of done the whole private thing, maybe got a place, got permission or something and kind of sold out on this one spot and then had EHD come in, like it'd be a pretty sad deal. Oh, but yeah. now it's like, EHD is a sad deal either way. It's kind of stinks all these deer dying, but, uh, no pun intended with the stinks part, but uh, yeah, yeah. at least being a public hunter, like if the deer densities get cut way down, you can still jump around into all these public places and find a deer to hunt. Yeah, you know? and I mean, it's pretty centralized, and I think that that's, what, um, that's why these guys that have places are, are very worried because, you know, if it affects their property, then it affects their property. Now, if it affects XWMA in, you know, the very central portion of a unit that I can hunt, then if I go to the eastern unit in there and hunt W or eastern part of the unit and hunt a WMA over there, then it might not uh, have affected over there mm-hmm. me. So like it doesn't necessarily affect my tag this year uh, as much as it might a Terry Drury who has a property uh, in northern Missouri or wherever that uh, could be like potentially uh, set back a decade from this. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, for sure. I, I totally understand it. And we've the word that we've gotten. Uh, as far as people concerned with the HD, it's all been from guys who hunt private pieces up there. So uh, it's definitely an issue that pertains a little bit more to them, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a sad issue, uh, even just as an outsider looking in, yeah. for sure. Well, it's sad. Enough of the sadness, though. It's time to get hyped, dude. Hype, You're hype. going to kill a freaking giant in October in Iowa. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of game planning for that in the upcoming weeks. Uh, especially as we get to, start, get to start looking at, like, weather patterns and stuff and seeing things. But this week, we actually have our first home front cold front of Dang. the season. Home field and advantage. It's happening soon, man. Like, Come on. And it's almost kind of strange because it's like, what, October 10th or something? No, October 7th and 8th or, I don't know, whatever Monday is. I don't have a clue what day it is. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> I promise you today's, I don't know. Today's Thursday. Okay, um, so, uh But uh, next Monday and Tuesday, like, we get a pretty good cold front for, for early October for us here. And we've been 
kind of game planning for that, looking at some trail camera pictures, kind of uh, evaluating where they're, you know, we can maximize our potential. This time of year, for one thing that we found for sure, is that the Schumard oak acorns are some of the first ones to drop. And I feel like you have those and water oaks that are falling. And water oaks will fall all fall this uh, year and mm-hmm. every year. And, and when they, and they'll, they'll also, since they're falling right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super preferential. Because yeah. of the tannins, mm-hmm. but as they sit, from what I understand, and and we get to December or whatever, the tannins start to, you know, deteriorate. De- and yeah, deteriorate the tannins actually help them like stay viable longer. So yeah. they're the only acorn on the ground where post oak acorns rot pretty quick. But that was kind of my point is that you got a bunch of water oaks falling right now, but the deer aren't going to hit them like they do the shoemarts, mm-hmm. which are a red oak, which you associate with tannins, but they're not very strong. And they're, a, I mean, they're a big payload. I mean, you're talking yeah. about like ping-pong ball-sized acorn sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that we're going to go and try to concentrate on some acorn patterns uh, that we are assuming are existing. And, uh, maybe we did a little scouting and found some. We did. We found did. some big ones. Man. We did, yeah. And so that's a poss- That's a potential place uh, that we would like to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's also... Uh, some of these places that we found in the past that have shoe marns, um, we just haven't been in, in there this year. And mm-hmm. I think one issue is like when you go in on a morning hunt first time to somewhere, um, that is a tough thing to, to do correctly mm-hmm. because you just cannot tell what's a shooting lane and what's not, especially this time of year when there's leaves on everything. Shoot, yeah, we're sitting here in your driveway and the, like you've got clear a clear area right here, right where the house and stuff is going. And... From there, like as soon as you hit the trees, you might have one yard that you can actually shoot into the trees. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not a shooting lane to be seen, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it's a lot like whenever you go in and sit up in the mornings, especially whenever you start shining your headlamp. Things don't look oh, like yeah. what they're supposed to look like. And you're like, oh, there's a lane. And then as soon as it gets light, you're like, oh, that's not. Or you might be like, oh, man, look at all that junk right in the way right there. And then it gets daylight and there's a lane. You're like, yeah. But either way, it gets real tough to go and hang and hunt in a place that you've like maybe never really went and looked at that tree before, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you don't want to end up with a, you know, a two yard shot and that's all you got in the yeah. spot, you know, it's kind of worthless. So I think what we're going to do is go to, to a morning hunt at a place that we know as being a place that's good for early season movement, more of a pinch point, maybe between some food sources and some oak trees around and then save that place that you're talking about for the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, I think I think it's going to allow us to walk in there, uh, you know, that evening and see everything before uh, we kind of get into a rush to put everything up in the dark and that kind of thing. And so, and this this place that we're going in the morning is going to be a uh, relatively open with some big oaks. Which mm-hmm. I mean, if we're sitting in an oak tree, there's a chance we got deer coming to us. You that's know, right, man. Um, we're going to shake it a little bit when we that's get right. up. There. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, on accident, but uh, the uh, you know they're they're post oaks, so. Um, we're not a hundred percent sure how it's going to work or, 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 you know, how, uh, preferential they are right now, how in demand. Or if, if we have dropping. them on the ground at all. Yeah. So but it's either way, it's a good, like we're hunting a deer movement there too. Yeah. Cause you, know? it, you said it was a pinch point Yeah, and we've got a cold front, a massive compared to what the weather has been all and month. Last year, there was a scrape line up that tree line. That's right, yeah. And Good scrapes. I think that, especially, you know, after talking to Terry, like, scrapes in October are one of the main things you can key on. And I, I, I haven't done that as much throughout the past. I've kind of just chased deer, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times with trail cameras. And I think maybe, it, maybe we need to do that a little bit more because, I mean, one of the big buck killers you know, oh, of, yeah. of this world is, is yeah. doing it. Well, so. I think the, the issue for us as well has been finding good scrapes. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in, in Texas, like it's finding scrapes is a tough thing. You know, what's interesting though, is that if we make them, the deer come sometimes. So maybe we yeah. need to just really rage one. Yeah. Just get after <laughs> it and make some scrapes, man. And, 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 we do uh, have a spot that we make. We've been making a scrape for like three years. Oh, and the deer love it. And they do. The love coyotes it. love it. The coons love it. Everything <laughs> the loves rabbits. it, man. Remember the that rabbits. Rabbit? <laughs> that's right. I wonder if he's still alive. I hope um, so. But yeah, that's that's a that'll be a thing we do for. So that's the Monday plan. Um, and the Monday evening plan, we aren't exactly set on where we want to be, but we know kind of what we want to go do. So we're gonna kind of let Monday morning kind of determine that, and then uh, 
If we're not tagged out, which we might be, mm, we might very well might be. Please, uh, we, we'll probably hunt Tuesday morning too, and then it's time to get back to work for a few days. But uh, man, this is the time of year to get it. So y'all yeah. that are out there listening, if you're able, get out there and hunt. Because man, mm. we only get hunting season for about three months a year. I know. And we were talking about this a second ago. It's like every year we get to October and we're, we got these plans to go and do and hunt and this and that, and then we're, we get. We get a little bit poor this time of year yeah. for some reason. I think it's just like, you know, prepping for deer season and getting everything back in order and buying tags. And I just went and bought my, my uh, Texas, you know, all the stuff I needed for Texas. Did you buy a duck stamp? I didn't. Man. I didn't either. I, I want to. But, I know. And I know I'll probably go, but I'm just going to wait until well, the last that, second. You what know? is it, 30, 24, 35 bucks? Or, uh, I don't yeah, it's, it like, is. Yeah, it's 30, 35 bucks and now. And it's like, well, I'll just buy it whenever I actually, because I'm not as much of a duck hunter as you, and I like yeah. to go, but I'm not going to like go force it. I'm like, man, I, I bought one last year, but like, yeah, that's like three quarters of a tank of gas right now. <laughs> I know. You man. know, like that'll that'll get me somewhere. I know, and that's where I'm at too. And it, and we always get to this point, and we just and we start going, man. Like I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to work. I'm I'm broke. Maybe we're maybe we're planning wrong in our life. Like maybe we should <laughs> maybe we should work harder in August, and then we do or something. I don't know, but yeah. like it just uh, it's a weird deal. And so I, I'm just trying to, uh, as I listen to Casey say that to you guys, also be inspired to just. Uh, push on because this is the October and November and December are the three months and especially as you on you know each end of November and in November that's like we wait all year for this man you know yep. it's like uh, as like a guy who just is eat up with with hunting uh, November is like Super Bowl season it is it's what I wait for my wife understands it um, and if yours doesn't then you probably should just try to convince her over the next few years that, hey, you know how much you like going to, like, you know, uh, Target or whatever? Like, that's what it's like for me when I go into the woods. So if I can have one month, like, please just give it to me, you know. And But it, it really is just such a special time. And so and we wait all year, we talk all year, and we just got to go do it, man. That's right, so man. you make a good point. Um, as far as uh, things we got going on, the um, the elk video, the first video from the elk hunt has actually done really well. So thank you guys for the support. Thanks for the comments and and um, the just views and spreading the news, man, sharing it and all that. That means a lot to us. Um, and it's it's been well received actually, which is surprising. I thought we'd have some haters with as many views as we've got on it, <laughs> and we don't have any haters yet, man. They've been real supportive of you, Casey. Thanks, guys. So. Uh, we appreciate the support. Uh, you probably understand after watching that video that I'm in a very delicate place in my life right now, so I don't need much hate. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't watched it, go watch that video and let us know what you think about those bulls, man, because that was Oof. a pretty awesome experience. Uh, like I've said a couple times, like I'm not just going to be like, well, at least I was there, right? Yeah. I mean. And and, and there's a there's like a part of me that that does say that. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but like Ted Gummin, I should have. Uh, uh, there's some things I can learn from from that sure, thing for yeah. sure, man. But sometimes, man, you got to just admit that you're dealing with a wild animal, and like they aren't just critters in a pen, you know. Yeah. Like these things have got a brain, and they're pretty slick. Yeah, you know? they are. They yeah. are, man. So uh, I think it just means that uh, now you're you're up to bat on uh, shooting a booner this year somewhere. Ooh, so man. <laughs> You seem uh, real scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never even think about Booners, to tell you the truth I, of that. I don't either, but I just think that that's what's going to happen. If it to happened, you. that would be cool. Yeah. Texas cool. Booner. Ooh, baby. A tuner. A tuner. <laughs> okay. We're, okay. We're, we're, anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the rest of that series will be dropping. I think we're going to have three parts to that series. Uh, hopefully, soon, second part will come out. Uh, not probably near as uh, interesting as the first part. But there, it's just a part of the story. Uh, it'll kind of help you uh, understand how we feel in the last part of the story, part three, which is uh, a rage fest. And um, then it's going to be on the hog videos and hopefully some deer videos after next week. We're going to kill a couple deer between now and then. Man. I, hey, are you shooting a doe Monday morning? Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. Are you? Probably not Monday morning. Yeah, I don't think I am. Uh I've got I've got a lot of deer tags this year, so yeah. I'm kind of almost to the point where like I think does are going to come later in the year for me for sure, which they usually do. But um, you know, in the past I've I've shot a doe early season here and there. So mm-hmm. I need um, some ground meat, man. I, I might shoot one uh, Monday evening if yeah. it's if it's if it's right. You know, seems right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. Well. I hope that we don't have to uh, even make that decision because a big old uh, 
10 point with short G4s comes in Monday evening for you. Man, one uh, brow tine that's a little bit longer than the other that's on one right. side. Yeah. I like him. I like he's, it. He's a pretty good public land <laughs> buck, I think. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I'm uh, banging it. I'm banging <laughs> okay. it. Well, cool, man. Well, I hope you guys uh, do get out in it, and I hope that uh, my inspirational talk will in- inspire me to get out in it as well. <laughs> it's not it, if it doesn't do that for you. So, anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great October, and we'll see you next week. Remember, this is your element. Living it. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory, relentless performance for your firearms.